Hello and welcome to the Image Method podcast. Our guest on this episode is commercial photographer Christopher Lynch. Chris works under the moniker Instilled Images and you can find links to his website as well as the images we are talking about on the show by going to our blog at imagemethod.blogspot.com. This is an enhanced podcast, so all the images we will be talking about appear as album artwork in iTunes, and you can also play the downloaded file in QuickTime as well. iTunes and QuickTime are both free downloads, so you do not need an iPod to enjoy this show. And also, you should tell your friends about this show, and you should do a free download subscription via iTunes or whatever podcatcher you normally use. I ran into Chris when he was in Chicago shooting an image campaign for Office Max, and while I was watching him work, I became very intrigued with his seemingly intuitive process. He seemed to not necessarily have an overly tight adherence to a preconceived vision. Um, Of course, he had a client and an art director that needed pleasing, but he left a lot of space on his set for random inspiration and uh, improvisation. In our interview, Chris talks about his approach to working with clients, as well as his practice of generating works that inspire him personally. So without further delay, let's go to the interview. Chris Lynch, thank you for being on the Image Method podcast. Yeah, Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, come and hang out. Looking at your website, you have a lot of these portraits which seem to be your creative work, and it, it seems to inform a lot of your commercial work. For example, you are always seem to be shooting people. I, I, I'm getting into this point now over the past few years where, you know, illustrating characters, and I really like to, you know, find uh, characters in each each uh, shot that we do. Um, it, and it, because I sort of have to try to know what that person is in there and, and figure out what the whole environment is around them mm-hmm. uh, to help illustrate them. So for me, I find it easier to illustrate a person as opposed to a product. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's why I've sort of leaned over to, to the portrait side. Mm-hmm. When you're choosing someone to photograph, what attracts you to them? What draws you in? I have to like in the, the latest project that we did. I was, um, you know, fairly involved in in casting as well. Um, and like when I worked on worked on uh, looking over the casting sheets and everything, it's really. I mean, you get so involved in a in a project in general, leading up to the actual shoot day and to the actual casting days that. Um, I'm really trying to just sort of put blinders on and figure out what's going to be, you know, the point that, you know, we, I'm photographing a person and I'm photographing, um, this character and I'm trying to really get into, uh, that person that we're working with. So it has to be, and there's, has to be some sort of initial attraction, almost like, you know, a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot, going back to the personal work, it, it's even the same thing. I will, uh, set up, you know, a, a location studio, um, at like we just did, um, uh, folk festival was the last, uh, one that we did. And I do them like every year, the mm-hmm. same folk festival, the same, uh, powwow or whatever. And 
those kinds of things are almost sort of my training ground, um, in essence, or my exercises, um, time with, uh, with doing portrait work because I'll basically set up a, an environment, a backdrop, just a plain, plain, uh, cloth backdrop and then see who strikes me from, uh, from the crowds. And then I'll walk around and just sort of pick out those, those, uh, people, even after all these years of, of doing it, it's still, there's still a barrier even for me to, to break in getting them to believe in the project, getting them to understand the project and getting them to come over to the, to, uh, the location, um, on set or come over to the mm -hmm. set and, and shoot. But, um, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's really that first initial attraction, uh, to a person much like a, like a boyfriend or girlfriend kind mm -hmm. of thing. It's, uh, um, so it's very instinctual. Yeah. Um, and I've, I guess as time went on, I sort of tried to rely on my instinct, um, because, you know, I do this for a reason. A lot of us, you know, hopefully do, um, what we do, uh, be it photography or business or whatever. We have to have that initial passion. Um, you got to love with what you do. Mm -hmm. And as time went on, I started to feel more and more comfortable with my decision on, you know, who I'm shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, because in essence, you know, our, our clients and, and, um, our personal work, you know, the clients are hiring us for how we see it. Um, mm -hmm. and they're not hiring us to push a button. Well, what's an example of finding the kind of personality or character of a product? Um, there's an image that we did it was a few years ago. Uh, Joseph Cartwright, who I mentioned earlier has been, a a dear friend of mine for the past, like, I think maybe seven, seven years now and eight years. And we collaborate a lot together, um, because we like creating images. Um, and we did this one, um, we started talking, uh, uh, lecturing a lot mm -hmm. and going around and, and talking with different photographers. But we also did, um, we're doing a series of, uh, luncheons with art directors and we were early sort of in the game of digital. We've been shooting like high end digital for almost like 11 or 12 years now. Hmm. And, um, so we were sitting there concepting one day and we have this, this luncheon that we're doing. And, um, you know, we were trying to figure out how we we're going to illustrate, um, or tell these people that we wanted to come what, what we were doing. So we developed the idea of digesting digital. It was a luncheon. It was about digital. So we we're playing with that. And that was illustrating a product, a, a lecture that we had and illustrating it into, you know, someone who was actually physically digesting digital. So mm -hmm. I decided to get a bunch of computer chips and milk and a cereal box. And we threw them onto a table. And we had a friend of mine who was actually uh, one of the uh, retailers down at a thrift shop below our studio. And so and just had him sort of in there um eating computer chips so in essence you know we had the the product that we had you know had to illustrate and and uh it's it's just sort of figuring out it, it was just a, a fun almost like paint by number kind of thing you know where we're um, trying to figure out how to illustrate digesting digital i'm glad you brought up that the digesting digital image because I wanted to ask you about your lighting. A lot of your lighting doesn't really have a natural quality. It almost is difficult to tell where the light is supposed to be coming from. There are some kind of odd splashes of brightness that 
don't seem to be lighting anything in particular. Um, there are some shadows that make it clear that there's a photographer working here with some lights. And it's, it's really kind of, well, I don't want to say unnatural, but just not necessarily rational. It fits into this whole kind of surreal effect you get sometimes. Can you talk a little bit about your approach to lighting? Again, I, I don't want to say instinct because it almost sort of uh, think I'm untouchable if I say instinct because you've heard the term of like painting with lighting. And I don't know when, I, when we did the digesting digital image, I don't know really. Uh, I didn't have this planned out lighting setup on how we're going to do this. It was one of the benefits of, of shooting digitally that we're able to see the reaction of, of where the light is placed. And ultimately, I'm just really going on. Um, I always liked the, the dark corners, you know, I, I think sort of faded out into, mm -hmm. into darkness. So I'm really, uh, for example, on the digesting digital, the lighting that we had was just a key light in front hitting hitting him. I think we had one one light on the cereal bowl. It was actually, it was a really simple, um, I have to look back. I always like to do behind the scenes photos mm -hmm. um, just for for record, but um, I have to look back on that and see what the what the lighting set up. It was very simple. Like, like that one was, was two lights maybe maximum because that's all we had. But this last project that we worked on, it was the funnest thing to be able to be playing with 10 to 12 different heads to create one image. Um, there's friends of mine that have sort of related to this as a, like a painterly like quality. Um, and I don't, I, I can understand it, but basically what we're trying to do with the different lights is really sort of highlight the, we use the same set with this, with this girl, Nina. Mm -hmm. And that was another one where we're, you know, really creating the the set and the prop and the, the propping the set and the environment and everything like that. So I was able to really start to direct lights to the little statue that's over in the corner um, that is actually wearing the same pattern of uh, dress that she had on. Mm. Um, and and then that the the uh, lamp over to the side, you know, just dragging the shutter so we could get that warmth in there. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, really just sort of painting different areas of, of uh, like highlighting different areas, mm -hmm. you know? I'm just looking at this picture closely for the first time of the of the Nina woman, and um, I, I could see somebody taking, you know, thinking like, oh, maybe the arm, the elbow of the arm in that photograph is almost too tangentially, you know, related, and there should be some separation there. Are you bothered by things like that at all? You know, and I, I just saw... A couple of the other shots from this, maybe about a, a month ago, I was going through the archive. And with some of the projects that we do, we get locked on that one shot, especially when we're shooting mm -hmm. like advertising and stuff like that. You might have those three to five shots that become the campaign. And that's pretty much what you what you always see and everything like that. Um, I have gotten from when we did this, I have gotten more detailed on you know, positioning and everything like that. Yeah, you know, I haven't looked back on it to see, you know, you look at the hand could be, um, that's on her hair, could be in a different area. But I'm also, I'm not one of those shooters that is, you know, shooting a thousand frames a second to figure out, okay, what, what can we get in there? And I try to really make a point on when I push that button, I'm pushing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. So, 
so I, I guess that's why I pushed the button there. I mean, there's always there's always different variances that we can have in there. And as as the projects as my projects have grown, it's definitely um, you know you are definitely working on the the exact positioning that that you want. Um, a, lo a lot of this stuff was done during a time where I was I was starting to illustrate them. Mm -hmm. I was starting to get there on, you know, building sets, building propping and character wise, but I hadn't fully reached the, the direction stage, mm -hmm. you know, where you're, you're really directing the, the talent into, into position that you want. There's some really curious things in some of your pictures, like this other portrait here of this woman that I noticed the way the background is like I just I get attracted to or I notice and I, I'm not being critical I think it's a curious choice like the way you cropped kind of half of this guy on the right hand side and the way the the background extras are sort of clumped together without separation I I, I would think more typically maybe more cliche maybe and maybe that has a negative effect being things that I fact that I'm looking to predict where somebody would place a background but you kind of have the background people sort of clumped together right behind her and I would think sometimes people would say oh no she must be separated from the background or something. Yeah. And I, I don't think the effect is bad at all I just think that those are curious choices that I could imagine somebody else not making yeah and the the sort of story behind this is um, I actually went to a club in the city uh, where a friend of mine was doing body painting mm -hmm. and he wanted me to come and, and photograph that and it was taking way too long like each person was taking you know almost two hours to do so I was sitting around and I was like I just didn't want to sit around mm -hmm. so I had the lighting I had my equipment there so I just turned around to the other side of me and, and um, had this great glass floor that was in the club and just decided to do a portrait series of people who were in the club. And in essence, one, the, the, the uh, camera position stayed the exact same area. The background stayed the exact same. And now it, it's bringing me back because, again, I've only, I haven't seen anything else from this series because um, I've used this girl in my portfolio for a little while. It's going back to the personal work. It created uh, an environmental environmental portrait, but all it was was people coming into into frame. We I think we have like maybe about twenty five to thirty portraits in that in that series. And so background wise, I was working within a club, so mm -hmm. everybody was running around. There's right. there's definite areas um, portraits that we have people over in the left hand side where they're just completely blurred because of shutter drag, trying to mm -hmm. get the the you know as a dark club. I see. Um, so my main thought was on the person and the positioning of the person in the foreground, and couldn't really do too much with the people in the background. For me, I'm glad you're mentioning it because for me, I, I've only concentrated on her and I haven't looked in the in the background. So it's details I would love to see again. I, I think that gives the pictures something different. The fact that they're not predictable, that you're not doing the thing that I would predict out of my treasure chest of cliches. Mm -hmm. I, I think you get a lot of kind of randomness. I mean, for example, in these pictures of the dance troupe, you have a light stand in the shot. Is that how it really is? Was it cropped in some other way? And that's yeah, I've, I've actually... One of my key things that I've really gotten into is one is I, I'm not huge on retouching. Hmm. Uh, like I said, we're, we're creating an image. So even down to crop, that's, I, I want that. I don't, it, there's a lot of times that people can be just taking a wide image and figure out, okay, well, I can, I can crop it here and make it a more interesting photo. And I can add this here and make it a more interesting photo. And I can darken it up here and make it a more interesting photo. 
And my basic thing is, is why not do it in frame? You know, why not do it right there while we're doing it? And so like the, like the dancers, yeah, it was intentional to leave the, the lighting stand in here. These we exhibited in New York at the Alvin Ailey dance facility. And they're, they're like 40 by 60 prints. And the fun thing is, is, is back here. One of my favorite one parts of this shot is back here. Um, there's a little girl who is turning around looking. And that's one of the things that I love about shooting on location uh, like we did here right. because you have the entire world that's around you that's almost interacting with your set. And so there's this mom just walking along, walking down the street and this little girl, obviously we ran across these, you know, half naked dancers and someone throwing water on them. And she was probably just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and this one picture that we ended up using, we caught her as she's turning around, sort of looking at it. And it become one of, became one of my most favorite elements in, in the shot. It seems like you have a lot of openness or you welcome random things to happen in your imagery. And that's probably what gives it a lot of... Um you know, natural or unnatural qualities to them. I want to thank you for um, being on the show today and, um, you know, talking about uh, your work with us, Chris. Oh, definitely. I really appreciate it. And uh, certainly if anybody has any questions, you're more than welcome to, to uh, shoot us an email. Um, how, can they, how can they find out your, uh, your contact information and see your uh, images? On my, on my website, that you can uh, shoot an email to me. It's chris at instilledimages.com. I'm typically one of those people that I'll really try to get back to you and, and get an answer to you. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I look forward to hearing from you. Well, thanks for being so generous with us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Christopher Lynch. You can see all the images we referred to at our website at imagemethod.blogspot.com. For this episode's totally well-known trade secret, I'm talking about the concept of robustness. If something is robust, it can hold up under changes in circumstances. Anytime you plan something that will still be a good plan in spite of changing conditions or goals, then you're creating a robust plan. Robustness can be determined by considering various what-if scenarios. For example, if you're planning an exterior shoot, you should ask yourself, what if it rains? Do you have a solution to problems caused by changing conditions? In production, we use this concept several dozens of times a day, and everybody on the set should be employing the principle of robustness. Here's another small example. Whenever I set up a light, I always leave enough slack in the power cable so that if the light needs to move for some reason, it could do so quickly and easily. But it is not efficient or possible to do every process with a maximum amount of robustness all the time. Therefore, robustness is more important at earlier stages of a process and less important at later stages. This is because as we progress in any process like lighting or shooting, we're gathering more and more information about that process as we go along. For example, a week before the shoot, we may plan for the possibility of rain, but on the morning of our shoot, we're likely to have a better idea of whether it will actually rain or not and whether we will actually need to go to that cover set or not. So the moral of the robustness story is that in every little thing we do, we must always be open to the possibility of change. We must plan for the unknown and be ready to adjust to new information. 
This is not a concept exclusive to film and photography, but applies to almost all aspects of our lives. All of the show notes, links, and images are at imagemethod.blogspot.com. You can email us at imagemethod at gmail.com. And for free automatic download of the show, you should subscribe via iTunes. If you like the show, tell your friends about us. We really appreciate that. I'm T.W. Lee. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time at Image Method. You're